You know, sometimes it's hard uh, to come up here after a production or a special singing because the kids did such a wonderful job, and, and then I have to follow that, you know. Um, but as we begin this morning, I just want to talk about uh, love. Uh, everything that we've been doing as a church, everything the kids did today was to speak to the love of God. Uh, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son into the world to die for the sins of the world. Um, so as we begin, a little short story here. Over the summer, you know, we spent a few weeks away. We were able to travel to North Carolina, and then we made a trip to Merle's Inlet, South Carolina, a beautiful place, sharks, alligators, all that kind of stuff. It was great. Um, but I was able to do some personal reading, and um, I, I grabbed a book called Love Does, and uh, written by Bob Goff. And, you know, it's busy. It's a summer vacation. We had a little home we were staying in that had a, a sunroom, and I made it a reading room because you could shut the door, and it was quiet in there. And we had a day where it was just, you know, a thunderstorm, and we couldn't go anywhere, so I was able to catch up on reading. So this book here, uh, I had a little extra time, and I was able to go ahead and finish this while on vacation. So a little bit about the author. You see him here in the picture. Bob Goff is a Christ follower, a lawyer. He taught law at Point Loma Church of the um, Nazarene University, that is. He's also an honorary consul to the Republic of Uganda. He is the founder of Love Does, a nonprofit human rights organization operating in Uganda, India, Nepal, Iraq, and Somalia. Through his connections, he's been able to rescue many abused and mistreated children in these various countries. In his book that I'm reading, it's just so memorable, it's so fresh. He says this, this is so good. The world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enveloped in a Hallmark card. But the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. And, and church, that's really a way of describing what God has done in Christmas. That His love has come into the world. His presence has been made known. He came in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He sacrificed Himself for the sins of the world. Love does. Love gives. Love serves. Love helps. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son in Jesus and we've been learning that Jesus is the centerpiece of Christmas. We're going to go ahead and jump right back into John chapter 12. Uh, you may recall some of the verses here. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And we're talking about the feast of the Passover. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the disciples and the Greeks, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, when Jesus says that, it's basically saying, you need to listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray together today. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful time to gather as your people to celebrate your son coming into the world. Lord, we thank you for all those who have helped made this, uh, make this day special with the kids um, and just a way of worshiping you and celebrating Christ and all the good he has done. And Lord, we pray today that through this busy season, that Christmas, the day is just a few days off. We pray that you give us peace through this, that we're not rushing around, too busy not thinking about you, that we take time to see you, that we take time to hear you, and that we also make time to serve you. Bless your words as they go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, two weeks ago, we dealt with the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus during the Passover. And the point of all of that is that people still need to see Jesus today. And we work hard to allow people to see Christ in us and not to do anything to prevent people from seeing Christ in us. So people still need to see Jesus. And when we see him, when we encounter Jesus, Jesus has something to say to us. Jesus comes with teachings. We cannot receive Jesus Christ without the teachings of Christ. It is to say that I want these things about Jesus, but Jesus is his teachings. He teaches who he is. He teaches what we are to believe as Christians. So we cannot separate the two. But the thing I want to take hold of today, and I want you guys to take into your life, is the next part of this. We are called to serve. Verse 26 again. It's, it's amazing to see how Jesus goes through this. Who's, they, he is leading them into this point of reality that being a Christian, seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, is more than just seeing and hearing. There's action involved. There's serving. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone serves me, he is following Jesus. He is watching Jesus. He is or she is listening to Jesus and where I am there my servants will also be. Wherever I am working in the world, there should be servants with Jesus. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The servants of Jesus must follow him. Now, if you understand the context and what's going on, the, the Passover is approaching. This is the time. Where are they to follow Jesus? Where is Jesus going? He is going to the cross. Now today, we, don't always, we want to follow Jesus when it comes to certain things, but when it comes to suffering, when it comes to the hard thing, a lot of people step away. A lot of people leave when it becomes the hard work. We've been sh talking about statistics over the years of why young people are leaving the church, and one of the reasons I always point to is not only hypocrisy in the church, not only were people possibly not fully discipled, but young people were not taught to serve. And all of a sudden, they're an adult. And they have to sit in big church, and they're asked to do things, they're asked to sweat, they're asked to get involved, and a lot of young people said, that's too much, because they were not taught along the way. In fact, we may have overly served them, doing for them without teaching them also to serve. So here it is, there's two words that Jesus used, serves and servant. Uh, the, root Greek, the Greek word there is similar to the word which we transliterate is deacon. If you've heard of that term in church, there's deacons in church. It basically means servants. It basically means ministers in the body of Christ. Several definitions when you see this throughout the Scripture. To be a servant. To wait upon. Raise your hand if anybody in their life has ever told you, I can't wait till I get older so I can be a waiter. 
I mean, I used to work at Domino's to make extra money, and I'd come home, and one of my daughters says, I can't, you know, I'm going to work at Domino's one day. And I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know? um, but a lot of people are not going to say that, that I want to grow up to be a waiter, to minister to someone, to supply a food and the necessities of life. This is when this word is used in the Scriptures. To provide care, to take care of, to distribute, to take care of the poor. Christians, churches, deacons, serving. Servant also, one who executes the commands of another. They're following orders. They listen to the master. They're an attendant, a minister to the king, a deacon. Also, again, cares for the poor. As charge and distributes the money collected uh, for the use as a waiter, as the deacons did in the New Testament. They served tables. They managed money. They helped the poor. They served food and drink. Now, everything mentioned here, these descriptions, these definitions, are low positions for many people. Our culture has been deceived into upward mobility. That means I want the best. I want the higher pay. I want the best career. I want the bigger title, and I want you to know the further you go up, upward mobility, you make more, but the stress is much more than the money you receive. But that has been our culture. I want the next big thing. I want the bigger car. I want the bigger house. Jesus' kingdom teaches us to get low. He teaches us to be humble. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease that Christ can increase But it is rare to meet anyone that said, when I grow up, I want to be a waiter. I want to be a servant. Um, Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the show Downton Abbey. One of my favorite characters. You guys, only five people know what Downton Abbey is? Come on. So it's an awesome show that shows, you know, you have uh, the elitist, the people with money and servants and all the drama in between. I love Mr. Carson. And he says, I have been called to service. I have chosen the life of service. He is thankful and glad in his role to serve. That's what he chose to do. I love that. That someone would say, I have chosen the life of servitude. So a few things about serving today, church. The first thing is that Jesus is our example. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 13. He has washed the disciples' feet. And he says this to them. For I have given you an example, but you also should do as I have done for you. That means Jesus is calling us to wash people's feet. To get involved. To do dirty work. Jesus said, I have given you the example. He is the prime example. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, Peter says this, For this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might also follow in his steps. Jesus, God in the flesh, made himself low. He humbled himself. He became a man and served people. He said, I did not come that you serve me. I have come to serve you. And I have given you an example. This thing that we do as church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, is a calling of servitude. It is a calling, yes, of salvation. I believe in Jesus Christ. He has saved my soul. It is a calling of sanctification. I'm moving sin out of my life. I am becoming holy. I'm following Jesus. It is also the calling to put your hand to a work and to serve. The true identity of every believer is to die to self. So you could imagine in the New Testament, people of high positions came to believe in Jesus 
And we're given low positions in the church, if you will, which is opposite of the world because we are called to serve, to die to self. Jesus is setting a pattern for us. Dying and arising again applies to us, His followers. When we die to self, we rise in Christ. The New Testament teaches us to humble yourself in the sight of God and He will lift you up. Another thing I want you to see here today, church, is serving will change your priorities. I mean, I want you to think about all the people in Natrona County, around 80,000 in the county. Out of that, I've counted, if you do a search, the number may vary on your phone or whatever algorithm you have. You can do a search for churches. Before I even moved to Casper, I did a search for churches and 80 Eight references came up. Now, some of those are parachurch ministries, and some of those may include other things that we wouldn't consider a church, but something in the community. But out of 80,000, only around 15,000 people are churched. And that means there's a huge unchurched portion. 65,000 people right now are not a part of a church anywhere. Their priority is different. In fact, it's weird if you've worked all week long and you've created Sunday as your day to sleep in, why would you get up? Why would you go to a place where people gather and hear this weird teaching about this person? Our priorities have shifted as believers. That Christ is king in our life, and His mission and His calling on our life is a high priority. Paul says this in Philippians 2.4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My own interest would be, I don't want to have anything to do with anybody else. I'm going to do whatever I want on Sunday. People gather on Sunday to worship Christ and to serve. And by the way, we have a lot of people in this church serving. We have broken the 80-20 principle, which I am excited about. I mean, out of the 140 that may attend on a given Sunday, we have near 60-plus people serving. That's almost half our church that is huge that are serving on a regular basis, not including people that just serve here or there along the way. Paul is telling us that our interests change. I'm interested in helping other people. Our priorities shift. It's not just about me. It's about others. You've heard me talk about what happens when people get baptized um, I almost, this is, this is wild, I mean, I didn't want to do, some churches it's a three-year process to get baptized. And then I look at the New Testament and people believed and were baptized, there was not a long process and I'm trying to meet that in the middle and talk to people but along the way, I almost want to talk people out of it. Because I know when you say, I want Jesus and I want to be baptized, that's when the temptation changes. I was taking, teaching at Casper Christian school. I was able to do the chapel there. And I told these young people, when I used to work with teens and college people, one of the hardest challenges is your priorities at that age and your scheduling. So what happens is a young person, they say they love God, they want to be baptized, then they turn 16. What happens at age 16? You, a car, maybe. And often people, mom and dad, buy them a car. They don't learn, earn, and that's another subject. But they have a car at age 16. What comes with a car? Bills. Gas. They don't even know why they got a car. I turned 16, I got a car. Why? Freedom. Get home by 8 o'clock, you know. So they have a car, but now they have to pay the bills. So what do they do? They get a job. And what does the job, when does the job schedule you to work? As the lowest, as the lowest new employee, when are they going to make you work? Wednesdays and Sundays. 
And I've told young people, I said, this is what's going to happen. You can tell them right now, I'm not going to work on Wednesdays and Sundays, and eventually they're going to put you on the schedule. And you have to be prepared to say, no, I've already made that clear, and be willing to walk. But they don't do that. They say, well, I'm going to do it this time. And then I watch. So you have the vehicle, you're paying the bills, you're having the work, and before long, the priorities have shifted. The work is more important. They, they leave they're rarely at church anymore. There's other things that happen, relationships. Not only 16, now you have a car. Now I want to take somebody on a date. Billy's here. He wants to take me out, Mom. I don't know who Billy is, but he's not taking me out. But there's a relationship. There's relationships involved. And relationships, if the priority is not Christ and His kingdom, the relationship can pull young people away. This is what happens along the way. But also when someone says, I want to be baptized, Satan goes headstrong after them and he will attack them. You make them feel shame and guilty for all these things and he can lure them away through bad relationships, scheduling, all of these things unless Christ is king and he is number one. And if you're willing to truly identify with Jesus through serving, there's going to be some problems because serving will challenge your priorities. What's the most important thing to me? Serving Jesus or building up my bank account? Serving Jesus or spending more hours at work to pay for the things that aren't even priorities in my life? Thinking of others changes things. Marriage changes things. You know, over the years, raise your hand if you heard about the five love languages. Gary Chapman talks about that. Love languages, gifts. Everybody loves to go through this class so they can say, I have my love languages getting gifts. I love that. Give me gifts. Time, all these things, getting time, all of these things. Um, for some, the love language is doing acts of service. Um, the primary love language of the New Testament church is death. Now, that seems odd to you, but when you get married, you have to die to self. That is what love is. That I am serving someone else now. That I'm giving up my personal rights. That I may love as Christ loved. That He humbled Himself and was willing to get into this relationship with us. If you have kids, you're going to serve. In fact, you become a pastor if you have kids. You are a youth pastor, a children's pastor. You're trying to teach your kids about Jesus and the follow. You're going to get up. You're going to change diapers in the middle of the night. You're going to hear all that, you've entered the life of servitude. Everybody's like, yay, we're having a kid. And I was like, you just wait. <laughs> and I don't know what it is within a woman's biology. A year in, the baby's starting to get a little older. I want another baby. I want, I want to hold another baby. And it's like they forget. Here we are, up again at night. <laughs> to changing diapers. But you enter a life of serving and your priorities change. If sleeping was a priority, that's going to get interrupted, right? It changes things when you enter into servitude. But if you want to serve Christ, you have to give up your time. You have to be committed to something. You have to be willing to give up some comfort level. You have to be willing to get dirty and get involved in things. The most effective servant of God is not the most gifted, by the way. It is the person who is most willing. The person willing to show up. Willing to get low. Willing to learn. Willing to serve. And if anyone is willing, they will accomplish the most. 
as they're getting into the life of service. Another thing I want you to see this morning, church, is that serving, I've said this already, that serving is dirty. John chapter 13 and verse 14, again, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. Now in just a moment, we're going to have some people come in with basins, and we're going to take off our shoes, and we're going to wash each other's feet. Somebody caught that. Everybody else was like, oh, what is going on at this church? The point here, there in the first century, of course, people traveled, there were sandals, their feet got dirty, and Jesus showed that he was willing to wash their feet. It was a custom to show that you're glad that people have come in. It was normal. But Jesus was willing to take off his clothes and lower himself to the place of someone's feet and wash their feet. Meaning, and he says, I've given you this example, means that we should also be willing to get low and to get dirty. We've gotten where we think that that thing is beneath me. That's too much. For, there's a point of knowing your boundaries, because I've had people over the years, we're trying to get people to work with youth and children. I've had, you know, an older man said, I can't work with youth. You know, I understand that. I can't do that. Okay, what else can you do? I'll do anything else. I just can't work with those kids. So it's okay in knowing your boundaries. But we still want to be willing um, to get involved in ministry, and it's going to get dirty. Christ sets a high expectation, and that high expectation is that we lower ourselves, that we may be willing to wash dirty feet. I think everyone should be making an effort to reach someone in the fringes of their life. Um, someone that is not in your normal friendship group or family group. By the way, when you get into your 30s and 40s, people kind of already have their established friendships. They're not really working to make new friends. They kind of have some friends, and that is the most challenging when you get into your 30s and 40s. But you have to be willing to open the door and reach out, learn new names, build new relationships that we may be able to serve new people. And it's not always easy. It may be someone you might not normally do life with, and we are to get in between people's lives. It is not easy. And here in Casper, and in our world, but we know Casper, we know some of the intense issues in our own culture here, we have to deal with addictions. You're trying to help someone who's fighting through an addiction or dependency. Uh, There's mental health issues. Nationwide, mental health issues are on the rise And I lamented recently after having to deal with some crazy situations. And I said, Lord, can you please put some normal people in my life? And I uh, I was convicted because the Lord said, you're not normal. And I said, well, that's... And if we only had normal, we just wouldn't have a lot of people around us. But people have gone through trauma. And they need someone to walk alongside them. And you don't always understand the trauma. But you can still love and show grace. People have struggles they're going through. In fact, people in this culture, again, 65,000 unchurched people in Casper have put up walls. And whatever that wall may be, it may be that, you know, I don't like that church stuff. I don't like the religion. Maybe they were hurt in church in the past. But we have to break through the walls. Working with people who live on the street will help you understand their survival mentality. There's not been one person that I have helped on the fringes that is not lying in the conversation. As I'm helping them, they're telling lies along the way. It's just street stuff. 
It is survivor mentality that they have to say whatever they need to say to get what they need. And I see right through that. They don't know that I see that stuff. But I see the person. I see the need. And sometimes I'm dealing with an adult. And you're like, man, their life is a mess. And I look beyond the adult, the parent, and I see the kids. And sometimes I'm doing this just to help the kids. Because sometimes adults are never going to change. But maybe we can show some grace and love to the kids. Um, But we don't always understand why they say what they say. I'm not saying it's right what they say. But it will help your perspective of why people do what they do and say what they say. It's, ger- it's good to learn some street language. It's good to know that this may be some con language here. But I want to get through the con and get to the person and maybe the Lord will convict them. Uh, many people have put up walls, like I said earlier, and I've learned that I cannot change people. You know, when you're called in the ministry and God's saying, you know, you're to preach the gospel, you're to serve in church. I was like, yes, I'm going to change and help people change. And that's not really the way it works. I cannot change people. I want them to change. I think this ministry is a ministry of life transformation and change. But we cannot change people. God can change them. What we can do is demonstrate love and grace in people's lives. And sometimes you feel cheated. You feel abused when you help someone. But what it does, this is what it does. I cannot change people, but what I can do is demonstrate the love and grace of God. And as we do, it chips away at the wall. They begin to let down their guard in some things. And you begin to break through the wall. And when you do that, they're able to see Jesus Christ all the more and clearer. They can see Him. They can hear Him without the distortions. And then they may say yes to His saving grace. And we are able to build relationships with people. And they, when you build that relationship, they will be more willing to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. The truth is that we have to get uncomfortable to get involved with other people's lives. Uh, We only truly serve Jesus when we serve others. When we help others see Jesus. When we help others hear Jesus. And when we serve them, that they may serve Jesus. In closing, church, I just want to share again, I mentioned William Booth this morning. William and Catherine Booth uh, started the Salvation Army the 1800s. I think, actually, late 1700s. A phenomenal ministry. If he preached in this pulpit today, you would be scared to death. He preached the Word of God, but he demonstrated the love of God as they helped the needs of people. Years ago, the Salvation Army was holding an international convention, and their founder here, they called him General William Booth, that had a very militant way of doing things. He could not attend because of physical weakness as as he had gotten old, and he sent in his convention message to the audience. They opened the paper, and they began to read his message, and it had just one word, as you see here, others. It's phenomenal, isn't it? We think it's about us. But ministry is about others. And this Christmas is also about others. Let's close in prayer. Our holy God in heaven, we thank you for this moment in time to celebrate what you have done in the world, that you have sent your Son 
Lord, we thank you for the joy of this time, the joy of children, their imagination, the celebration, having all the fun we had this morning. And I pray through all of this that we see you more clearly, that we're open to hearing you, even your words that seek and and dig into the deep parts of our heart and convict us of our ways. And ultimately, Lord, is that we may serve, that we serve you our mighty God and King, our Master, that we serve in the church, that we help to do the ministry, that we serve in the community as we fulfill the mission to go and make disciples of the world. And I pray today as we leave that we have that in the back of our mind, that we are here to serve others. I pray you bless your people as they go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you would stand with us as we dismiss, all rise. You hear that, and Mike's been working on that. All right, all right. Um, Go in grace and peace. May God's grace and love be upon you as we reach Casper for Christ. You are dismissed. God bless you.